0: Well, good morning, everyone. Good to uh, good to be here lovely to be here um, uh, thanks for the warm welcome uh, just learning a new version of my God is so big I don 't know two churches that sing that quite the same always little variations on the tune and the lyrics uh, lovely to be with you my name is Richard uh, first time here in Carrick Fergus greetings to you from Bethany Baptist Church this morning don 't ask me afterwards why it's called Bethany it's it's in Bangor but there are two other Baptist churches in Bangor so we couldn 't call it Bangor Baptist Church uh, and Grandshire Road Baptist Church is uh, too much of a mouthful, so they landed on Bethany somehow, uh, but greetings from, greetings from Bethany. I live over in Bethany now with my uh, wife, Stephanie. Uh, maybe some of you have met through Baptist women, that sort of thing, uh, or perhaps at the, the Irish Women's Convention yesterday if you were there. Although you'd be doing well to meet someone specific in a crowd like that, if you've seen pictures, it's a big day, uh, but uh, live over there with my wife Stephanie, two boys, Matthew and Ethan, uh, 14 and 12, and uh, my daughter Isla, who's just in P7, uh, at uh, 10 years old, so um, plenty plenty to be getting on with at home, uh, we, have a, we have a dog as well, who's absolutely barmy, um, probably find some of his hair on the front seat there, I don't know. Um, Sorry about that. Uh, but, uh, you yeah, know, I was thinking as well, I was thinking, you know, as I pulled up in the car park, having driven around the lock this morning, I actually only live seven and a half miles away. And I wondered if I lived closer to Carrick Fergus Baptist than some of you do. If you, if you live further than seven and a half miles away, I'd like to, I'd like to make that connection because I'm just, and I don't have a boat, so I did have to come the long way, but, um, but uh, got here dry anyway. Uh, saying all that just to kind of warm you up to the sound of my voice and... Um, and uh, let me put it to you as well. It was, it was said to me this morning no one 's going to listen to you anyway because the seats are laid out differently, so probably you could say whatever you want and, and no one 'll notice uh, let me just let me just call that out and say just try and compartmentalize that. Just set that aside uh, and let's let 's turn to god 's word. Should we open up, uh, open up Colossians chapter one Colossians chapter one. have to warn you that just at the start of what I want to talk about this morning, I do have a very short rugby-related story. If anyone, uh, if anyone doesn't want spoilers for yesterday's matches, uh, or if you just, the trauma is too much, I've given the spoiler away there, haven't I? Uh, Do you know what, we'll tell the story anyway, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. We're turning to Colossians. Uh, We're going to, we're going to read verses 15 to 23 of chapter 1, and we might summarize the first 14 verses when we, when we, when we come to to this passage. But let's, let's read uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, speaking, uh, as you might be able to see, of Christ, Paul teaching of Christ. Uh, He says, And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell." before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is God's word. Should we, should we just pray just for a moment? Let's Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is preserved for us, that it is life to us. And we pray you would be at work now by your spirit to give us understanding in our minds and response in our hearts and in our lives, uh, for our good and for the glory of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen well, I wonder if you've ever heard, uh, if you've ever heard uh, someone say, "You are taking this too seriously." You're taking this too seriously. Um, now obviously the Rugby World Cup is on, teams are going home, not all of them are going home happy, um, and uh, with the benefit of hindsight I might have switched this story out. But anyway, my, my grandfather, and some of you have a certain, shall we say vintage, might remember him. He was Pastor George Blaney, and anytime someone calls me Pastor Blaney I think they're talking about him. Uh, but, but anyway, my grandfather told me of a time when he, would, he went to see a friend of his, a fellow pastor in uh, Wales, I was visiting him in Wales, and the timing of his visit happened to be, I think a day or maybe two days after Ireland had beaten Wales in a rugby test match. And this, uh, this Welsh friend's wife answered the door when my grandfather knocked uh, and told him, look, it's, it's no use, George, not do the accent, it's no use, George, he won't speak to you today. He, he won't speak to you. And, well, why on earth not? Well, because of the rugby result. Ah, a way on. away on. Sure, it's only a game. <clears throat> but when my grandfather came into the house right enough, his friend would hardly speak to him and just needed, needed space, needed time just to get over what had happened. And Well, we might sympathize. But, but maybe you would say, look, he's, he was taking that too seriously. It's only a game. Again, wrong day day for this. And maybe this is helping rather than, uh, hindering rather than helping. But maybe, maybe you have at some time in your life been told, I think you're taking this too seriously. You know, you're training for a marathon or, or some sort of sports fixture, you're practicing for a music exam and really getting obsessive about it, or a school play. Parents are thinking if only they would, if only they would get obsessive about practicing. Uh, or, or maybe just getting upset when, when yet again you have to advance to Mayfair and someone's got a hotel on that thing, and what does it cost now with inflation? I don't know, you, well you're, maybe you're, you're taking this too seriously. Don't 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 go overboard. You're taking this too seriously. What about your what about your faith? Uh, your life as a follower of Jesus. Have you ever been told you're taking that too seriously? I suppose it depends who you might talk to about it. Uh, you may have heard that two of my two two friends of mine uh, used to be hospital doctors. Uh, slogging through years of university study and, uh, and workplace training, bit by bit, building up the portfolio of experience and knowledge that they needed. And both of them are now pastors. And, and what would you say about that? Do you think that's a waste? Because some people told them that it was. It's a real waste that you're making that move. Some people told them they were taking faith and taking the church too seriously. If you're at school and you're reluctant to join in with whatever your friends are doing because it doesn't fit with following Jesus, are you taking Jesus too seriously? If you're at university and you're you're balancing study with Christian union and, and talking to friends about Jesus instead of going all out for that first, for that distinction, are you taking Jesus too seriously? If you are giving your money, your time, your abilities, if you're going to go and ask your boss this week for a couple of volunteer days, never heard of that, Um, volunteer days so you can go out and into the schools with the amazing journey, if you're going to visit the lonely, if you're going to prepare the music, if you're going to, um, you know, give yourself to maintenance of the church or finances, if you're reading the Bible and praying and trying to learn how to love God and how to obey Him more and more, are you taking Jesus a little bit too serious? If we pass up or are passed over for opportunities, promotions, just a little luxuries because we're prioritizing our king and his kingdom, are we taking Jesus too seriously? Well, look, we're focusing on the verses we read, Colossians 1, 15 to 23. Let me just summarize verses 1 to 14, and you might want to scan over them uh, just as I do that. Uh, I don't know how how well you scan uh, as someone else is talking, but but Apostle Paul wrote to a a church of fairly young believers, young in the faith anyway, in the city of of Colossae. And he wrote to say, look, it is brilliant news that the gospel has changed your lives. And I'm so encouraged that your true hope in Christ, uh, verse 3, 4, uh, their true hope in Christ has been fertile soil for the fruit of faith in God and love for God's people. And I want to say, Paul says, yes, that life transformation that's happening in you and it's happening really everywhere the gospel seed is sown. It's nothing short of what we would expect from a message that is, well, true, and so, so good. Uh, So look at verse 12. So God the Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That message is so, so good. And yes, of course, it is transformative. Now, who knows now what it cost the Colossians to turn to Jesus. They lived in a culture where life and livelihood revolved around the family and the community and the customs and the worship of local gods. Turning to Jesus out of all that, coming out of all that, uh, would, could have been deeply difficult with perpetual pressure to go back, to, to come back into the fold of our, our pagan worship. Are they taking Jesus too seriously? It could be really costly what they've done. Are they taking Jesus too seriously? And in the, these first 14 verses of the, of the book, uh, Paul says, Oh no, not at all. Not at all. From verse 15, he says, let me tell you why. Let me tell you more about him. Let me tell you about Christ, our King, so that you are confident that this transformation in your life is exactly right. It's exactly the right level. It's exactly the right response. Let me tell you about him so that you are confident you can never make too much of Jesus. You can never take Christ too seriously. You can never be more affected by him than you should be. He is worth it all. Let me tell you about him. And Paul, of course, his own life turned upside down by Jesus. Let's hear what Paul would say to us today about uh, this eternal Christ. Uh, forget what I've put now. Oh, well, I've got a title. That's great. I couldn't remember if I left the title on there. But here's the first thing that uh, Paul wants to say, Christ is the image of God. Obviously, that's verse 15. Uh, verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. <clears throat> Jesus is the image of God. He is, Hebrews 1, the the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, the exact image of His his being. Uh, So the Colossians had left behind all the gods of their culture, the ancestral gods that cared for their families, the local gods that looked after their cities, the, the great gods of the empire. Is Jesus worth it? Is He worth giving up all of that? Yes, he is the image of the invisible God, the one true and living God. If you think about a a grand reveal, and Jesus is the grand reveal, you, you think what a brilliant result Jesus is. Uh, so I remember catching half an episode of a, a TV show. It was a reality show. It was a competition for for interior designers. I forget the, the name of the show, but it was basically it was basically the Great British Bake Off, but with wallpapering um, instead of instead of baking. And, and these people, I don't know why, but people volunteered rooms of their houses to to be transformed, to be made over in this show. And the the competitors would go week by week, competing to to make over these these rooms. And I remember one particular makeover, and the, the couple was quite bored with the way their, I think it was the whole downstairs, actually, the whole downstairs, they were quite bored with how it was laid out, quite bored with the decor. It was tired, it was, et cetera, it was cluttered and what have you. And, um, and, and the design for it was, um, well, it was bold. And in fact, it was, it was quite silly, um, and when it was all fitted and it was all finished, and the homeowners came in for the first time and looked around and saw it, they hated it. They absolutely hated it. I try not to find it funny because it'd be quite, quite distressing, wouldn't it? But, but I mean, there were tears. They just were so disappointed, just wondered what on earth they had done. But the opposite happens when Jesus reveals God to us. See the devil's lie from Genesis 3 was never that God doesn't exist. It was always that God isn't good. God is stingy. God is selfish. Uh, He's holding you back. Even today, when someone tells you that they don't believe in God, it's really worth asking what God they don't believe in. What do they imagine that God is like? Um, Is he gruff? Is he grumpy? Is he always angry? Is he there always watching, always disapproving? He's got his clipboard and he's ready to catch you out and punish you. Living with a God like that is like, you know, living in some sort of spiritual North Korea. Or, you know, look, if you're a Christian and you find it much easier to sing of Jesus, the friend of sinners... But much harder to feel anything for God on His throne, this glorious God on His throne. Well, hear this, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of His nature, the exact representation of His being. Whatever you imagine, when you hear the word God, there is no God in heaven who is unlike Jesus Christ. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. It's, it's dangerous and it's false to think that somewhere behind Jesus lurks this more sinister God, a dictator who is in some way lower in his love uh, and cheaper with compassion and stingier with grace. When we look to Christ, we are looking at the very heart of who God is. No version of God, no matter how respectfully worshipped, no how philosophically sophisticated, no matter how widely accepted, no version of God that looks one pixel different to Jesus Christ is the true God. And no version of God that looks one pixel different to Jesus Christ is worth anything to us either. Jesus is the image of God. Christ is the image of God. And thank God that that's what he is like. Paul elaborates, he says then, the firstborn of all creation, and I'm aware we're just in the second half of the first verse that I read, we, we'll speed up, don't worry. Um, you, always, you always wonder with a, a speaker you've never heard before, what are, we, what are we letting ourselves in for this week? But uh, he's the firstborn, Christ is the firstborn of all creation. What does that mean? Firstborn here is not about Jesus' origin story, it's about his inheritance. It means Jesus has the rights and the privileges of the firstborn. He is the prince who inherits the kingdom. He is the inheritor and the sovereign ruler of all creation. Why is that? Verse 16, because by him all things were created. He made it. He is the agent of creation through whom God made all things. And it's all things. It includes a whole bunch of stuff that we wouldn't think of. We don't see every day. Yes, it's the earth. It's also the heavens. Also, Paul says, all the, the beings and powers and authorities in the earth and the heavens. And he names thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities. Some commentators think those are kind of Jewish shorthand for different ranks of angels. I don't know if that's, if that's right or not. But the point is still that Jesus is the source of all creation, all of it. Uh, He's also the goal of all creation. All things were created through him and for him. Verse 17, for his enjoyment, his honor, his glory. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Christ continually sustains his whole creation. We think that it's it's all about physics and chemistry and biology and it is about those things. Uh, But above and beneath and amongst and beyond it all is the eternal son of God, the living word of God, the creating agent, the firstborn inheritor, uh, the perpetual sustainer, the ultimate ruler, the image of God himself, Jesus Christ. Are we taking him too seriously? We're taking our walk with him too seriously. I, I promise you, Paul promises you, we cannot Every step we take in faith in Him, every echo uh, of His love that we share with those around us, every pang for future hope, every act of obedience in the present, every minute of service, every tiptoe of humility, every choice for unity, all of it is well spent on Him. He is the reason we exist. He is the goal of our lives. His glory is our highest calling and our deepest joy, whether we yet even know it or not. And so do you want to know the God of all creation? Do you want to know what he's really like? Do you want to meet him even today for the first time, perhaps some of you? Do you want to to come and know him? Do you want to be forgiven by him? Do you want to be welcomed by him? Adopted by him? Restored by him? Even glorified with him? Do you want to delight him and be delighted in him? You need more of Christ and Christ alone. He is the image of God. He's the image of God. He's more than that in this passage. Uh, he's the image of God, and He is the head of His people. Christ is the head of His people. It wouldn't actually be, wouldn't be all that great news for us if Christ was simply our creator. He's good news for us because He's also our redeemer, uh, our, our rescuer. So verse 18, He is the head of the body, the church. I reckon Paul's like skipped a lot, although he laid some foundations for this in verses 12 and 13, but suddenly now talking about the church. Well, let's back up. The wider world, of course, wants nothing to do with God. The wider world, uh, and in our own lives as well at a time, we swallowed the lie that God is, is, is Vladimir Yahweh or Kim Jong Jehovah, the cosmic dictator who wants nothing but his own way and his own profit at the expense of all people everywhere. Uh, the Colossians used to think that way, uh, thought that way at first when they heard of him. Uh, we did before, uh, or, or, or would have if we'd kind of grown up um, outside the hearing of the gospel. Perhaps you became a Christian quite young. Uh, we, we, you, you still do think that way about God in some flavor if you don't yet know him. But Christ is not only uh, our glorious creator, but our gracious redeemer. He's not only the Lord. He's the savior. Uh, He's the creator of all humanity. And here he's the head of a new humanity, the church. Uh, Elsewhere called his body, it's a people. No, it's here, it's called his body, the head of the body, Uh, a body that people that he leads, that he governs, cares for, sustains, nurtures, feeds. Uh, He cherishes as his own self, his own body. It's a people, the church, who are being saved from the universal choice of death. It's people being saved through his death. He is, verse 18, the firstborn from among the dead. So that's us, the dead, among the dead, Uh, not yet physically, but spiritually. Well, he is the firstborn. Now here, firstborn uh, still means inheritor, still means ruler, supreme king, but with the added picture now of his resurrection. He is the first and the foremost to have come through death. He was always the Lord but is now confirmed and displayed as the Lord by defeating our enemies of sin and death. That hadn't happened until the first Easter. We'll we'll think about it shortly as we share bread and wine. And so verse 18, he is preeminent and supreme, not only in creation, but in recreation. And that brings Paul in this letter back to the gospel. Verse 19, in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In verse 16, creation was by him and through him and for him. In verse 19, salvation is in him and through him and to him. And it says, oh, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That fullness language, filling language is kind of rich and thick. I don't know if you're kind of later today, this, all oh, the fullness of the deity in him. Uh, in, Genesis, in Genesis 1 to 2, speaking of filling and fullness, in Genesis 1 and 2, God wanted his, his image bearers, to fill his world, to take his image to every corner of creation because creation was to be a cosmic temple, a place where his image was represented and, and, and seen as glorious in every corner. Uh, obviously, then came the fall. And so then in several places in the story, uh, God's presence fills fills uh, the place of worship, not the cosmic temple, but the the tabernacle, the the, the temple in Jerusalem, the small scale that speaks of what creation was designed to be and speaks of what the new creation will be on the way. Where is the place of the permanent filling of God? The filling of God is not permanently in the tabernacle, the temple. Where is it permanently? It's in Christ in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell Jesus Christ is fully God forever. And so verse 20, as God, as the glorious, generous, great, good God of creation who gave us life and love and breath and meaning, and as the God spurned and shunned and shunted out of our lives, Jesus Christ is able to make peace through him to reconcile to himself all things making peace by the blood of his cross. There are two ways to make peace. And it's a difficult time to talk about this because I think we're seeing one attempt to make peace. uh, Kind of, kind of in the news at the moment. Kind of an attempt to peace. One way to put, one day to make peace is to put down rebellion. To crush it, to flatten it and wipe it out. After that, there is a kind of peace. Peace. The other way to make peace is to reconcile, to to build bridges, to restore relationship, to seek community. And Jesus will do the first of those. He will put down rebellion. When he comes, there will be peace. He is the king. He will rule. His kingdom will be established. Every knee will bow. But he has already done and is still doing the second of those. He reconciles. He makes peace. He reaches out. He is uniquely able to forgive us because He's the one wronged in our rebellion. He is slighted by our sin, but He was made sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God, that verse says. He traded places with us. He bought our lives with his blood. He took the death sentence that treason deserves. He gave us a death sentence, but wrapped us up in himself, wrapped us up as the blow fell on his back. He absorbed it. He was killed by it. He took it all and, and, and wrapped up in him, we live, we are delivered. How seriously should we take Jesus? Well, how serious is it to have put ourselves and to keep putting ourselves perhaps squarely up against the God, the giver of life, the inventor and source of all love, the rightful supreme authority of all creation and the generous giver of every goodness. How serious is that? It's, a, it's not ideal. It's a disaster, it's the mother and father of all disasters. You need peace. You've got nothing to offer, nothing to bring, nothing to say. You've burned every bridge, you've cut every channel of communication. You have no way back. You need peace, but it's hopeless. You're so far gone. In sin we are so far gone that we don't even want peace. We're hostile. But Jesus makes peace, reconciles to himself all things through the blood of his cross. Christ makes peace. He's the head of his new people, the image of God uh, and the head of his people, uh, the creator and the savior. So what are we going to, what are we going to do with that? Well, I'm going to repeat our title is what we're going to do. We're going to hope in our peacemaking king. That's where this lands. That's what we need to do as a result of this, what we need to think about as we go out of here today. We need to hope in our peacemaking king. So let's read just verses 21 to 23 again. Uh, 21 to 23, Paul says, you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. These final verses go something like this, uh, if you want to break them down. We were, he has, we are, if we... So let, 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 let's pick those up and let's let's turn them over in our hands. So we wear what we wear; he has done what he's done. We are now something different if we continue in him. Let's 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 just pick those up briefly each. So so you wear verse twenty one. You once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Sure, you know what it's like. Uh, to be uh, alienated, well, to, to lose touch with someone at least, uh, maybe friends from the past, uh, church folks from when you lived somewhere else, uh, or folks uh, from when they lived here. Even family members can lose touch, can't they? Uh, this alienation here is not that. This is the estrangement of our attempt at a bitter divorce from our Maker. Like Adam and Eve, in the pattern of Adam and Eve, our minds turn against him, then our actions follow suit, and this spiral of anti-God thought and action spins into effect, each reinforcing the other until we're calling good evil and evil good. How many evils in the world today are openly applauded and celebrated, and how deep in that would we be without Christ? So we were, we were, but he has. Verse 22 You he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. The heart of the human problem is the the problem of the human heart, but the solution doesn't begin in the human heart. It doesn't begin with therapy or, or thinking differently about myself. It begins at the cross of Christ. He became one of us to live the life that God deserved from us, and to die the death that we deserve from God. And doing those two things, He made peace. With all our hostility dealt with in him at the cross, we are reunited with our maker. So, so we were, he has, so now we are, verse 22, uh, we are, what are we? Well, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. In the cosmic courtroom, we ought to be uh, presented, you know, handcuffed in the dark, But instead, we are presented, paraded perhaps, as belonging to God, right with God, delightful to God. And in that courtroom, the devil and his kind are there, and they are furious because they are throwing accusations at us. And I don't know if you ever thought about this, but all of the accusations the devil brings are true. The devil lies to us. But he doesn't need to lie to God. He doesn't need to lie about us. The devil doesn't need ammunition. He doesn't need to make stuff up about me or about you. Every accusation he throws is completely true, 100% accurate, and not one bit of it sticks. We are, we are spiritual Teflon in Christ. It all stuck to him on the cross. He gathered it all, and now we are set apart for God. We are blameless before him. We are above reproach. So we were, he has, we are, if we, verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. So in other words, if we hope in our peacemaking king. Just look at the three S's of verse 23. I don't know if you've got, if you're in the ESV or something else, maybe they're not S's for you, but they're S's for me. So if we are stable, so not wobbling because we're standing on Christ. If we are steadfast, not drifting because we're sticking close to Christ. And the last one's negative, it's not shifting not climbing off Christ. Stable, steadfast, not shifting. Be content with the gospel of Christ. It is more than enough. He is more than enough. His work on the cross done and dusted is more than enough to take us from what we were to what we are to what we will one day be. Be stable, be steadfast, not shifting. Hope in our peacemaking King. So, look, are you taking Jesus too seriously? I promise you, you are not. You could not. Now, some of us here today may not be followers of Jesus at all, you're not sure if there's a God out there, and from what you at least came in imagining him to be like, you're not sure you want there to be a God out there either, Uh, you know, and I have, I have nothing for you but Christ. He is the image of God. He is the exact imprint of his being, his nature. In Jesus, there is goodness and kindness and love that is beyond me to express. Uh, you, need to, you need to engage with him. You need to read of him. Go home this afternoon and look, look up, um, well, any of them, but Luke's gospel. Just read Luke's Gospel, a couple of verses of Christmas to get through at the start, but or chapters of Christmas to get through. But once you get into sort of chapter four and you see Jesus interacting with people, his, his love, his, his grace towards the outcast, his inclusion of the outcast, his, uh, his frustration at the elites and the self-righteous, just see him interact with people. This is the, the exact nature of God. This is God in the flesh got nothing to suggest to you other than go and look at him. Many of us here today, I assume, are followers of Jesus. Some of you, I don't know, and I better say, I better say no one put me up to anything I'm about to say uh, at all. Uh, but some, some of you could be in a room this size, bored of him, just bored of Jesus. Here we are, Sunday again, comes around fast, uh, thinking about lunch. You might be bored of Jesus. You might be just a little bit more interested in yourself than you are in Him. Uh, you know, maybe you'd rather be out on the bike this morning. You'd rather be cycling to Bangor and back. I don't recommend that, but but well, I don't know. I don't, maybe there's a path. I don't know. But you take you take yourself more seriously than you take Jesus, and let me tell you, that's a disaster. You urgently need to see. Jesus for who he is you need to take him more seriously than you take yourself otherwise you'll never you'll never stick with him through thick and thin you'll never deny yourself and follow him you need to see him as beautiful and glorious and worthy I don't know, maybe, maybe some people are bored of him. Maybe, maybe some of us are sagging under this burden, this heavy burden of guilt and shame. You think, oh my goodness, if the people sitting next to me knew this about me, they'd be horrified. They'd be horrified if they knew what I'm carrying. You need to see the glorious worth of Christ. To see that his death was more than enough. Enough. To lift you above reproach. Maybe you're going through the mill of temptation, as we all do. Uh, you need to see that Christ is better than what tempts you, Christ is the true answer to what you deeply desire. And so you need to, to, to not be content in the, in the muddy shallows of temptation, but wade out into Christ. If you're going to follow that desire that you have deep in your heart, you're going to find the answer to that desire in Christ, not in the mud at the shore. You need to wade out past temptations, wade out into the depth of Christ. You might be under all, all manner of pressures. Well, he's the king of creation, old and new. He's the Lord of this world and the Lord of the next. Come what may, he's the king. Trust him, pray to him. Look, as we finish, we cannot take him seriously enough. But we can keep hoping in him and he is enough. We're gonna think about him as we uh, will pray, we'll sing. We're gonna gather around the table as well to remember him and respond to his word this morning. Why don't we start by praying? Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, where do we begin to praise you for your son, our savior, our friend, our king, the Lord of all uh, of this age and the next, uh, Jesus Christ. We thank you that that as he reveals you, the grand reveal of heaven, uh, we find that you're not a dictator. You're not a tyrant. You're the God of eternal love and unending kindness. Thank you that you have made peace with us, even us as only you had the right or the ability to do. Thank you that we have all that we need in Christ. Father, would you help us to walk ever more closely and confidently with him until that time when our faith gives way to sight and we see him face to face for his glory and for our good, we pray. Amen.